Acquiring and shooting firearms has definitely been the most expensive hobby I've ever picked up, and there have been a number of them over the years. It sits somewhere in between Model Trains and Magic the Gathering on the Money Pit Index, and is at least as addictive as both of those. There are ways to minimize the wallet hit, such as buying cheaper ammo in bulk to train with, but does the money you save come at another price? I think it's safe to say that my economic philosophies around firearms are unconventional. Whereas most people I've shot with have several rifles stacked up in giant safes, I only have one rifle. And I've also put more money into that one rifle than my friends and colleagues have put into a combined chunk of their collections. Personally, I'd rather have one $3,000 carbine than five $600 carbines, but I can see the argument go both ways on that. While I only have the one rifle and plan to keep it that way, I've certainly splurged on it here and there. You know, the barrel, the bolt carrier, the optic, and trigger setups are what I would consider above average, though certainly not top of the line. To offset this cost, I've opted to shoot the absolute cheapest Russian ammo that I can find. I buy in bulk online rather than shop in stores, and I'm constantly on the alert for price drops even if I'll only end up saving a penny or two per round. This approach might not make sense to some. You know, why subject a high-end rifle that I trust for defensive use to a barrage of cheap steel-cased ammo? The truth is that I shared that concern at one point. I used to worry that I was prematurely killing my barrel, bolt, or extractor, and that I would need to spend hundreds to undo the damage caused by trying to save money on ammo, thus defeating the purpose of the cheap ammo in the first place. I had to do a bit of research to reassure myself, which I did end up doing, and I'd like to pass my findings on so that we can all train as much as we can with the funds we can spare. Now, if you're like most shooters in the U.S., you probably buy most of your ammo in small boxes at your local Walmart or sporting goods store, maybe a local gun store. Winchester White Box is probably the most common range or plinking ammo around, while Federal, Fiocchi, and Spear are viewed as kind of upgrade options for both accuracy and reliability. But with the advent of internet shopping, more and more shooters are turning to online warehouses for cheap ammo that can be bought in bulk quantities of, say, 500 or more rounds at a time, and they're reducing the cost of each round by buying that way. Imported steel-cased ammo can be had online for less than half of what American brass-cased ammo costs in local retail stores. And when you shoot over a thousand rounds in between ammo purchases, the cost savings really add up. If you haven't looked into the Russian cheap stuff before, uh, here are the key features of this sort of ammo. First is the casing. While there are a lot of cheap brass-cased options out there, one of the biggest cost savings available with factory ammo is switching to steel cases. Steel is simply a cheaper material to acquire and work with than brass, but steel can also bang up internal components more and the reduced expansion can cause carbon buildup between the case and the chamber wall. Next thing is the jacket. While most American ammo uses a pure copper bullet, import manufacturers often use a bimetal coating made with copper jacketed lead or steel. This is to reduce the amount of copper needed per round since copper is a very expensive material. There's also the coating. Steel-cased ammo uses a coating to protect the steel from rusting and to aid in extraction. This is usually done with a lacquer or a polymer layer over the steel. Now, because brass is a naturally more slick material, it doesn't need a coating. So you usually don't, need, don't see a coating on brass-cased ammo. And last is the powder. Powder flame temperatures and burn rates have a noticeable impact on the reliability and lifespan of a firearm. If powder burns too hot, it can wear the chamber and barrel faster. And if the powder burns too fast, the pressure at the end of a gas system can be too low for the system to cycle reliably. 
Cheaper ammo may use old-school stick powders that burn hotter and faster than more modern spherical powder. And, you know, some firearms, whether pistol or rifle, will perform unfavorably with certain types of ammunition. Beyond the shooter's capability, ammo is usually the next biggest factor with accuracy, but it's also the most likely culprit for reliability issues in a well-maintained, especially semi-automatic, firearm. The biggest culprit is usually the powder. Lower pressure at the chamber and at the muzzle or end of the gas system can affect either ejection or cycling, sometimes both. If the pressure is too low in the chamber, the case can get stuck during ejection. If the powder burns too fast and there isn't sufficient pressure at the gas port of a gas-operated rifle, the system may not cycle completely. This is called short-stroking, and it's particularly noticeable with carbines that have small gas ports. That's why militaries have traditionally solved this problem by ordering carbines with larger gas ports to allow more gas through the system and overcompensate for various reliability issues that might come up during hard use. Steel-cased ammo can damage some bores, chambers, or ejection ports. They can also get stuck during ejection after building up carbon in the ejection area, which is common when shooting a lot of steel-cased ammo, since steel expands significantly less than brass. And in some rare cases, a significantly lighter bullet weight, or a narrow dimension somewhere on the round, can affect the lockup and stabilization of the round, which can affect accuracy. Now, while all of these are likely mechanical issues with certain firearms, one point I do want to stress is that most cases of a gun failing to feed or eject certain types of ammo is actually operator error, not manufacturer error. This is especially true with semi-automatic pistols, where an inexperienced shooter can limp-wrist the shots and induce a failure to feed or failure to eject. You need stiff wrists so that the slide can reciprocate correctly, eject the spent case, and to load the next round from the magazine. This is just a fundamental grip and posture thing. Uh, you know, ammunition is also blamed when a rifle or carbine is not sufficiently lubricated. Now, a modern car fighting carbine doesn't need to be squeaky clean to run well, but it does need generous lubrication. So, the next time you notice a, a malfunction in your carbine that seems to be ammo-related, try adding more lube before taking any other remedial steps. Now, as far as testing the whole cost and benefit of cheap ammo versus better ammo, I've seen a few ammo tests and comparisons over the years, but none as comprehensive as a torture test that was done by Lucky Gunner and published in 2013. I don't typically like stuff that's described as torture tests because they're usually more of an entertainment piece than anything remotely scientific. In this case, the folks at Lucky Gunner were surprisingly thorough and analytical with their approach. They shot 10,000 rounds each that all came from four different manufacturers, and they shot those through four identical AR-15 rifles and measured changes in accuracy, velocity, and wear along the way. The rifles themselves were just off-the-shelf Bushmasters, all identical in configuration from each other, and all brand new at the time of testing. And to clearly identify issues with shooting commonly available but cheap ammo, Lucky Gunner compared one brand of relative quality, which in this case was Federal 55 grain ammo with brass cases and copper jackets. They compared those to three imported brands of steel-cased bimetal jacket ammo. You know, the typically cheap Russian stuff that you find online. The goal of the test seemed to address my initial concern, whether saving money by buying cheap imported ammo was worth it when looking at how the ammo impacts the firearm that it's being fed through. So I highly recommend finding this report and just taking it all in. But to summarize the results real quick, Lucky Gunner found that after 10,000 rounds, the rifle that was exclusively fed federal brass-cased ammo was in much better shape than the three that were shooting Wolf, Tula, and brown bear steel-cased ammo. 
It was also the only rifle out of the four that had zero malfunctions out of all 10,000 rounds, while the other three carbines had single or double-digit instances of stuck cases and short stroking. Now, that's not a high number of malfunctions out of 10,000 rounds, but it is greater than zero. I think the biggest finding was that cheap ammo, especially bimetal jacketed ammo, can degrade a barrel's accuracy over time, but it takes a long time to become practically noticeable, more than I would have initially thought. In the Lucky Gunner test, carbines firing wolf and brown bear started showing accuracy issues between 4,000 and 6,000 rounds, while the carbine firing Federal maintained accuracy standards through the 10,000 rounds tested, and would likely remain accurate long after. Personally, I'd wager that even 4,000 rounds is more than the average carbine owner will ever shoot through any single firearm, though I wish that weren't the case. I wish we all were choosing firearms that we were going to put higher round counts through, that we were intimately familiar with each firearm that we had. With that said, the cost savings of imported steel-cased ammo are still significant enough to warrant using that type of ammo for ongoing training, and I'm going to explain why. As the Lucky Gunner test and real-world high round count experiences will illustrate, the money that you save shooting this cheap ammo will more than pay for any components that that cheap ammo will degrade prematurely, such as your AR's barrel or bolt or extractor. In my experience, Simply switching from brass casing to steel casing saves enough money on its own to pay for a new barrel, even if the brass cased ammo that I would have otherwise used still used cheap powder and bimetal jacketed bullets. Over the course of my 5,000 or so rounds in my go-to AR, at least at the time of posting this, I've saved around $100 to $130-ish buying bulk steel cased ammo instead of low-end bulk brass cased ammo. That's, you know, $100 to $130 per 1,000 rounds, which is typically the amount that I purchase at a time. At least 4,000 of my 5,000-ish rounds to date have been of that bottom-end, steel-cased, bimetal, jacketed variety, usually Wolf or Tula. And this is more than cheap enough for me to buy a new barrel or two with the cost savings, although I personally have yet to observe an accuracy or reliability issue that would prompt that purchase. Maybe I would if I was shooting the ammo faster like they did in the Lucky Gunner test, but as it happens, I'm usually shooting slowly to reinforce accurate fundamentals. The cost difference between the cheap and the upper-end ammo would increase further if I were to compare against brass-cased copper-jacketed ammo like the Federal ammo that was in the Lucky Gunner test. Even if the ammo that you use sometimes induces malfunctions on the range, learning to quickly diagnose and resolve those malfunctions is an invaluable training opportunity that may save your life on a day that better ammo doesn't function perfectly. And that does happen. The most common malfunctions that are associated with cheap ammo, like stuck casings and failures to eject, can occur with even the best ammo if the firearm has become too dirty or is lacking sufficient lubrication. Another point of kind of basic economics here is that if you opted for a cheap pistol or rifle and found that it can't reliably or accurately shoot, the cheapest ammo available for that firearm, I personally feel that your economics are backwards because you're going to quickly overcome what you saved on the gun with what you're overpaying in training ammo. You know, I would rather take a higher quality firearm and spend 18 cents per round than be relegated to spending 26 to 30 cents per round because my more inexpensive firearm can't reliably or can't be trusted with the 18 cent stuff. As it happens, even if you weren't looking at price differences between ammo, the fact is that in order to get especially proficient with a firearm, you're normally going to match the retail price of the firearm with ammo shot. 
So I would think twice before stepping down from a bare minimum acceptable standard like a Glock pistol or an AR-patterned rifle from a reputable manufacturer. The money that you save on that point of purchase can come back to bite you later when it comes time to actually getting good with the firearm. So if there is a conclusion to be drawn from all this, it's that you'll want to have the right barrel and the right bolt, the right system components for how hard you're going to run the firearm. If you're going to shoot infrequently and slowly and carefully, then it doesn't matter too much if you're running a lower quality barrel or if you're paying a little bit more per round of ammo. If you're like me and you're shooting a lot of rounds very regularly, it makes more sense to spend more ahead of time for a barrel and to buy your ammo cheaply and in bulk. Because by the, that, by the time you've chewed through a higher quality barrel, you have more than enough money saved to get another, or even two or three, depending on how much you've saved. That's all I have for you this week. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, if you've been listening for a while or just found Range Talk, we'd appreciate it either way if you could take a brief minute to leave Range Talk a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. If cheap ammo killed your rifle and you need to give me a piece of your mind, submit your hate to Twitter using the hashtag Range Talk. If not, stay safe. We'll talk again soon.